0: everyone welcome back to can you hear us my name is Madeira and my pronouns are she her and hers
1: and my name is Monica and my pronouns are she her and hers and we're so happy to be back not only for episode 10 but to explore these new topics new points of thoughts and truly and most of all to work alongside and learn from our new team with Ragini, Sanjana and Doris hi everyone
2: hi
0: hello hi hi as our team grows and changes, our aim is to continue to amplify the voices of Black, Indigenous, and women of color, or what we like to call BIWOC, in the international development sector through the exchanges of ideas and stories.
1: And while we took a small break this Michaelmas term to get organized, reflect on our mission, and pitch ourselves to a new team of five, we thought that the first episode back should spend some time not only getting to know our team, but also to revisit what Can You Hear Us is all about, and most
0: especially what we hope to explore for the rest of the year. And the best way to reflect is sometimes through the eyes of newcomers. So today, Monica and I will be taking the back seat and doing what we have always thought our main job on this podcast is to do. Listen to the voices of women, amplify their ideas, and maybe even theorize what we would like the international development sector to look and work like. As always, The Can You Hear Us team acknowledges that we do not represent all women or femmes of color, that we can only speak from our experiences and perspectives, but we strive to include all women and femmes of color in our conversations. We are always open to feedback from our listeners. Special thanks to the LSE Department of International Development and the LSE Volunteer Center for all of their support and not only the production and promotion of this month's episode, but also with expanding our team. We would not be able to reach all of you if it wasn't for their platform. And with that, I'll hand it over to Monica to start us off.
1: Thanks so much, Madeira. So without any further delay, let's introduce the team. So again, welcome Sanjana, Doris, and Ragini. Yay!
2: (laughs) You, so excited.
1: So welcome everyone. Um, to kick us off, would you mind to introduce yourself briefly, including your role in Can You Hear Us, as well as your favorite thing about London so far?
2: Hi, I am Ragini and I am currently working as an assistant producer for Can You Hear Us? I've been living in London for about a year and a half now and I think my favorite thing has to be the bridges um I've, I've been on a bit of a quest to be able to identify all of them correctly and i've miserably failed because i have been here for a year and a half and so far i can recognize london bridge tower bridge blackfriars bridge and westminster bridge that's
0: better than me shoot
1: <laughs> i mean i second what madeira has said that is quite the quest
2: <laughs> like, like, i will keep i will keep everybody updated on how it's going Oh,
1: no, please do, please do. We look forward to it. <laughs> okay. uh, no, that's brilliant. <laughs> Thanks so much, Ragni. Sanjana, do you mind going next? Yeah, of course.
3: Hi, everyone. I'm Sanjana. I'm the social media manager here at Can You Hear Us. My favourite thing about London is kind of similar. It's that I can walk from anywhere to anywhere mm. pretty easily. Mm. I love how walkable the city is. And yeah. I also love that I can just enjoy the view or have like a good conversation with somebody or like enjoy the weather without having to worry about like where I'm stepping and where I'm walking most oh, of the yeah. time so
1: I just true. I really love that no, absolutely despite the weather like somehow it's still very walkable
3: exactly yes. and it kind of helps warm you up when it's cold oh yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah
1: it's true but yeah no so thank you Sandana. and now um last but definitely not least Doris do you mind presenting yourself
4: Sure! Um. Hi everybody, I'm Doris and I'm the lead researcher at Can You Hear Us? I'm a first year sociology student at the LSE and currently here in London, so it's the first time I've been to London and my favourite thing about London is the theatres and the museums. Mm-hmm. I travelled to five cities during the holiday, but found none of them have such a unique and diverse mm-hmm. collection of arts. Um, I'm fascinated by the British Museum and have enjoyed many shows, including including Less Miss, Life of Pi, and The ma- Magic Flute.
0: Oh my gosh, you're really taking advantage of London, Doris. That's amazing. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Doris and Jana and Ragni, for joining the team. It would be a complete understatement to say that we are so happy to have you here because truly it has been such a wonderful time getting to know you and we're so excited for this season. So
1: for this episode, so everyone to know how great you are. <laughs> We asked Ragni, Doris and Sanjana to reflect on international development and speak to both the challenges and the benefits of the sector in making not only the world a better place, but also being a worthwhile academic and or professional endeavor to study and work within, especially as BiWalk. Doris, Ragni and Sanjana have prepared their reflections for us to discuss today, and we hope that this will be a great introduction to where we would like to go and explore this term as a team, but also as individuals. So again, without any further delay, Doris, would you mind going first?
4: Sure. Well, actually, I'm very new to international development. And the first time I heard of international development was when I joined the first meeting of Can You Hear Us? So Monica and Madeira was introducing the next episode and they used the acronym of International Development, which is ID. I thought that we are going to do a topic on international passport or citizenship, etc. But mm-hmm. as I listened to other team members' responses, I find out that, hmm, probably I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I literally switched pages and Google ID to find the meaning, but didn't get the right answer until I finally asked the question in the meeting. And so far, my understanding can be well summarized by the Salvation Army Australia's definition, which is international development is the pursuit of a better world for all the elimination of poverty, discrimination and injustice. So basically, the purpose of ID is to make the world a better place. I believe many of my audiences um, would also like a great overview on the big question, what is ID? However, I'm still learning and have countless questions to ask. So I will use this opportunity to learn from my team. Here comes my first question. What is international development focusing on to make the world a better place? Ragni, do you mind answering this question? Uh sure.
2: In terms of what it is focusing on to make a better to, to make the world a better place is In very like simplistic and academic terms would be the promotion of economic growth and human rights in the developing world. Mm. But Mm. again, I think the definition that you use, Doris, from Salvation Army Australia is very interesting because they've just sort of said a better world without specifying what that necessarily means. Mm. And I think, especially when, but uh, I also can I just say I love the fact that you thought international development was about um, international passport or citizenship <laughs> yeah. because it yeah. should be like ideally, it should be. You are not wrong. It's us that's <laughs> just confusing the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. So, so your confusion is totally valid. I think, so I think, just in terms of a better world, what international development works towards is essentially Western ideas of a modern society. Hmm. So when we're talking about economic growth and human rights, we're talking about a capitalist economy in developing world in the developing world or human hmm. rights that are considered essential and non-alienable in the Western world that are derived from the American constitution, the French hmm. constitution. Long story short, ID is focusing on economic growth and human rights, but it is also focusing on Western ideals of what these terms mean, mm. and those aren't... ID almost tends to use these terms normatively in, a, in their Western definition, which, which is not always helpful, at least that's what I believe. Hmm. Yeah, does
4: that mean that we need to be like quite aware of what international development is trying to do, like because it's Westernized and It doesn't really consider the Eastern world or we call global self.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we definitely need to be a little bit more critical when we're talking about ID and when we're looking at the work that ID does. Yeah, I think that's the way forward for sure, just to be more critical because it would, in no way am I saying that growth, like providing economic growth and human rights is something that we should do away with because it it is a step forward for sure. But yeah, just to be a little bit more critical and mindful of who we are providing help to how we are providing help got
4: it very interesting thank you so much and based on that i wonder what the international development industry really look like so for example which organizations or companies make up the id industry um is it ngos charities think tanks or the government are they public or private because our podcast will look specifically into the industry and talk to the people working in it right so it would be great if Sanjana can get us a little more prepared for the future information and discussion
3: that's yeah of course that's that's actually a really interesting question and something that actually is debated in the field of international development of who really defines what development means it kind of ties back into what Ragini was saying because Especially today, we're seeing development look very different and being defined in very different ways. Things like health crises are equated to humanitarian crises. Natural disasters are seen as something that can be preventative. Capacity Mm -hmm. building is really emphasized. And of course, we also have like these huge financial corporations that funnel money into development, either through philanthropy or through foundations. And so it is really interesting to see who the stakeholders are and really whose interests are being served. I don't think there's a straightforward answer to what makes up the development space, because it could be something as big as like the United Nations with all of its agencies, or it could be something as small as a local group or a local NGO, or even at the individual level of if we're recycling at home, are we contributing to environmental development? So I feel like that's definitely something more than trying to find an answer to this question. I think it's just something we need to, again, keep in mind. To be critical of the kind of development that we consider, you know, worth investigating and the kind of like the way that these different stakeholders shape the way development kind of takes place or the direction it goes in. If any of you have anything else to add to that?
2: No, I think that's, I think that's great. I think also just you said, I think we all just need to be a little bit more mindful in these cases because a lot of people in the ID space just tend to come in with the mindset of, Oh, this is good work, which, Mm -hmm. which, almost seems to act as an excuse to not look at yourself or your work critically but but, you know critically looking at anything
4: is always good yeah I agree yeah we need to be critical about everything we do actually so my last question actually is how is international development relevant to everyone and how can we contribute to it and making the world a better place together I'm asking this because um, I was very surprised when Madeira told me that actually what I did <laughs> in my high school, funding um, up a feminist club and then um, helping girls from rural places to have education in my school is also a part of international development. Mm. So I wonder how are we all involved in international development, in fact?
2: Yeah, I would think so because I just... I'm reminded of this quote by Cynthia and Lowe, where she it's a little bit of a play on the person is political where mm. she said the personal is international yeah. and basically she just spoke about how I think this is from her book uh, Bananas Beaches and Bases oh, yeah. yeah basically I think she just talks about how because of globalization the local has gotten con- interconnected to the global on such an intimate level that It's, again, just just like the personal is political, you can't separate the personal from the international. So when we're talking about international development, we do need to be mindful of the fact that the reason many inequalities exist today is because they were created. So if the West is prosperous, it is because they did so at the cost of somebody else not being prosperous. So when you're going in to sort of amend that and restore the balance, you also need to come mm-hmm. from a place of self awareness where you're aware of why the imbalance exists. Right. I think just in terms of like how can we make the world a better place uh, is yeah just by being aware of why we even need to do so in the first place. Why mm-hmm. Why do we need to why Why is the world not the best place possible? Why do certain inequalities exist? Why does the work of international development even need to exist? Like you said, Doris, there were things that you did in high school that you didn't even realize were a part of international development, which means that it's a little bit like the chicken and the egg. So what came Mm -hmm. first, like international development or aid? Who knows? Mm -hmm. But yeah, just just basically not taking everything at face value just because you, you feel like you're on the good side of things. Because... You know, like obviously providing help is always great, but if you're not providing people the help they need, or if you're not providing help that people can actually that people can actually benefit from, what what is the point even?
4: Yeah, I'm totally agree. And your answer is really inspiring. It's not only like we need to <laughs> be critical to um, the organization that offering the help but also reflect on ourselves about how we view the world and how we might cause or deepen the discrimination or inequality in a way that we are like unintentionally and unconsciously so mm-hmm. international development really encourages us to mm-hmm. view the world in a bigger picture
2: no that's yeah that's that's, you You summarized it better than I did. So yeah, exactly. And <laughs>
4: yeah. um, as a bonus question, how do you think, can you hear us contribute to the space of international development? Ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who would like to answer this question?
1: Well, I really want the new team to answer this question.
4: Well, I think from um, one aspect, definitely, um, because we focus on amplifying the voice of women of color or bywalk. So we can definitely hear some voices from people sometimes we are less accessible to. For example, mm-hmm. maybe uh, as a Chinese, I seldom talk to someone, maybe from Africa or even from India even though we know they exist but we seldom hear about their lived experience so from listening to can you hear us I think we can actually hear people from all around the world about um, what they have have been experiencing and how do they think that the world should improve
0: yeah, Doris, I think that that's a, a great way to look at it. And I think it goes back to a lot of what you all were sort of discussing about being critical. And I think that, you know, in some ways, can you hear us, at least from my experience, we're trying to be critical because of the positionality that we're in. Um, and I think you all spoke to that: is the definition or, you know, what the word means to make a place a better world. Who actually gets to define that? And who actually is the person that's giving and receiving the help? And mm-hmm. a lot of the times, and I think we'll get into this a little bit later, you know, Biwalk in particular aren't really in that conversation. We're usually the receiver. We're not usually the giver in the in the world of looking at it from a Western perspective. And so I think that that's really important that we have a space like Can You Hear Us that kind of says, no, there are women of color that are involved in the space And you know, a lot of the times, maybe even more than you think, their positionality might be a little bit better in terms of understanding what makes a world a better place. Because usually, they're the more disadvantaged. And so, I think that that's a conversation to have. And I think that that's one of the reasons why we really thought, "Can you hear us?" Could really contribute to that space.
1: Yeah, I think you've both answered it really well. I would like to add that it's interesting. You touched. On this as well, Doris, with your questions and with Sanjana and and Ragni's answers, but international development is changing. You know, it started off as a very defined sector, and like Ragni very well said, is it the chicken or the egg? Did social impact come before or after the social issue, and how was it framed and structured? And so, as a sector, you know, it's a young sector. It's around for 70 years, but it combines very old sectors. You need history, you need finance, you need um, engineering, you need all of these to make sure international development is working and is a responsive and effective mechanism. And now in 2022, oh sorry, 2023, I still have <laughs> last year's brain. And in the last, I would say, Five to 10 years with the UN pushing for their sustainable development goals, um, the awareness of climate change, but also issues such as, you know, gender equity, not just gender equality, leadership, governance. So, again, going back to responsive and effective mechanisms for those that need it, by those that can provide it. Can you hear us is now sliding into a space where it's a bit more malleable, if that makes sense. So we can host a podcast and just share stories and actually that can slip into ID because of the content we talk about. The same way as, you know, big corporations now are cashing into ESGs and CSRs and DE&I, ID is actually going back to being a baseline instead of something very specific, Mm -hmm. which is also a very interesting time, I think, to be in as young, if I can say so myself, Mm -hmm. (laughs) by walk in this sector, or at least being affected by it. Sanjana Ragni, would you also like to take a shot at this question? I feel like it's a good one. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it ties back to what we were just talking about before,
3: about how ID is very constructed by certain voices. And if there's even a slight change in who the actors are, who those voices are, then it can also change the trajectory of development or of social impact. And so I, I like what you said about the idea of can you hear us kind of feeding into development where we kind of are able to either platform voices or channel the kind of voices that we as young BiWalk want to see or want mm-hmm. to hear, which I think is super important. And the more the more platforms like that there are, the more mainstream those voices become in development.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. So
3: yeah, I think that's kind of exciting also mm-hmm. that we're kind of now at a place where more people are either interested in hearing these voices and also more of these, like, I think more young women, more young people of color are entering the development space and really reclaiming the kind of work that they want to do and the kind of development that they really want to see for themselves and for their communities. and
2: Yeah, you've all covered it pretty well. Because for me, just getting to know the team and working on the podcast has sort of helped expand my definition of international development and what it means and what it can mean so I think like we've discussed it is a fairly new space like listening to like-minded people where you know that you can trust what they're saying because you know the place that they're coming from mm-hmm. is just it's a great way to learn and also work on your own ideas and just to keep evolving I guess and since it is such a new like since it is such a brand new field even if like even if we're contributing in the sense of just helping someone start a dialogue I think that I mean that's great.
1: And speaking of I know that Doris had asked a really good question in our run-through last week so I wanted to follow up that thought that you ended on, Ragni, with Doris's question. Does each organization have their own definition of developed or development? And I actually wanted to flip it and ask, how important is it to have a homogenous definition of development or developed, and what would it look like?
2: I think, like, yeah, I think, especially since we're coming as biwalk women, I think that's the point that we're trying to say that there isn't one universal experience of biwalk women or women or people of color. And I think, in terms of just to have space for multiple identities, overlapping identities to exist, would be like narrowing it down to one single definition might work against the cause Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. if we are trying to say that that like everybody has different experiences and the point is to be able to incorporate all of them into international development yeah i don't know how useful having like one normative definition would be Mm -hmm. alternatively i think there just needs to be space for multiple definitions or understandings to exist without one being prioritized over the
4: other i i was just thinking that probably different organization they will have kind of their agenda like Mm -hmm. in achieving their objective maybe they will have a different interpretation of what is defined as developed is it um economic growth or Mm -hmm. is it um, women's rights or child um development. Mm-hmm. So maybe to fit their different objective, they have to take different actions. So- so that's why I asked this question. But Rackney definitely give a very good answer to it. Yeah,
0: it's a good question. And I mean, I also think that we need to take a step back and also think about having, I wouldn't say homogenous definitions, but maybe having mm-hmm. a, a, a way of prioritizing or being able to advocate for specific issues usually came down to them being able to define the problem and being able to connect it to the bigger picture of what was happening. And so I think of... Um, you know, specifically with women's empowerment and the idea of having almost these networks of women from different CSOs that represented different countries. And they essentially work towards kind of defining women's empowerment and gender equality and needing to needing it to be on the platform of multilateral organizations that really do end up defining what development is for us right so i'm thinking of like the sdgs for example the sustainable development goals and you know they had to kind of come to a consensus in a way that would argue so in in the first case women make up 50% of the population of the world they're usually the most impoverished due to you know their marginalized identities the situations they handle but they are a big part of the economy and they need to be a part of the economy in that specific place in order for it to be a, an ideal free market. And so, you know, them getting behind that definition actually was able to push women's empowerment to a certain degree. But now we're kind of coming to a standstill. And I would say that you know, within the academic space, it's become very critical. And like, is that definition of keeping women's empowerment directly related to economic Um, Mm -hmm. stability really actually feasible, number one? And number two, is it actually equitable? Is it actually changing the way that women are treated throughout the world? And I would say that some people disagree or not. And so I think you kind of have to think about like, in a weird way, you kind of have to think about where is the funding coming from? To be able to push these. And how do you mm-hmm. make an argument for a problem or a social social issue in this grand scheme that says, you know, we need to look at this problem because it is detrimental to a country's ability to have a formal economy, ability to have the most people take part in that economy, or maybe even just take part in the social political space?
4: Yeah, I feel like I discover a huge default of international development. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah mm-hmm. thank you for all your insights and all the answers I really learned a lot from them it clearly explains like how we are all involved in it and why should everyone care about international development and most importantly if you would like to know more about all the aspects of ID especially from an angle of bio, listen to our podcast
1: <laughs> <laughs> excellent yeah. uh. Thank you, Doris, for that shout-out. <laughs> I think like
3: it would also be interesting because we are talking about what kind of axes around which developmentally is centred and developmentally kind of shapes itself. I feel like also because we're talking about it from the perspective of wanting to platform more Black, Indigenous, and women of colour in development, it might also be interesting to just look at how ID is gendered. So mm-hmm. when we do look at problems that are considered problems of development or issues of development, which might hinder the capability of people to enjoy certain freedoms, like their social or economic opportunities, their political freedoms, security, protection, kind of, we kind of have to confront the fact that these issues are very often gendered. Mm -hmm. So a lack of education or financial literacy or access to health services, evidence does show that women lack access to these spaces a lot more than any other gender demography. Right. Right. So it's kind of, I feel like it's worthwhile to have a conversation to look at how certain freedoms are only enjoyed when there's a capability or capacity to actually exercise those freedoms. Mm. So how gender biases and gender roles assigned by like a gender binary play a role in determining who's most afflicted in times of crises and who development assistance kind of targets or who's the majority who actually get the benefits of development. So yeah, I mean, as a team, I feel like we sort of fit into the group that is either usually helped or maybe not necessarily the group who provides targeted assistance and intervention and monetary aid. So I guess my broader question is, as there is a push for development to be more inclusive and more diverse, do you guys have any like advice or any ideas of what you think the sector what you need the sec what you think the sector does need to reach this goal for development or international development how can international development really look inclusive what would that look like and what would that feel like mm. maybe ragini if you want to start
2: yeah, I think just just to start off, I want to like unpack the word inclusive here a little bit, because when we're talking about international development being inclusive, I mean, just by virtue of it being international development, one would think, where does inclusivity play a role over here? Isn't it about like, just social mobility? And like, obviously, if you're talking about social mobility, you're not going to be selective. But... I think it's a little bit when we're talking about ID being an inclusive space, we're talking about empowering those individuals who maybe haven't seen themselves as being on the others or as being the ones who could be providing aid, so haven't seen themselves on the other side of ID, Mm -hmm. how to make them feel like they could They don't necessarily have to be passive receivers or like they don't necessarily have to be the ones who are the targets of international development. And yeah, I think I don't know how to do that. But just to think of an example, let's say the United Nations funds a women empowerment project in India and to make the campaign exclusive, they recruit local women to execute and lead the project. Again, given the diversity of India Local women could, rate, could ha- just range from, like, an extremely elite, upper-class, urban woman to, like, a rural, still educated, but, like, maybe educated in a regional language... Woman, so a woman educated in a regional language. So, again, when you're talking about local, to make the campaign inclusive, what do you mean by you want to recruit local women? Because urban and upper class women are likely to be the first people to enlist for such a role because they would be most familiar with the UN and its work. So, I think for ID to be truly inclusive, it has to be cognizant of the various ways in which our identities overlap because that's that's kind of what we're talking about as bi women is that is that is that exactly is that we do have overlapping identities and i think that id can be truly inclusive only if it is intersectional like many aspects that we talk about of social mobility and social justice is they are they are sort of incomplete without intersectionality because without intersectionality they aren't helping like yeah without intersectionality yeah it's it's targeting a very like specific or it's not targeting, but it's kind of leaving out a large number of people. Right.
1: I think Sanjana pointed this out in the last question in which, you know, we're talking about if we want to make solutions for those that need it the most, they need to be involved because they know what they need the most on a day to day basis. Again, thinking about how, when, who, and putting the initiative to be responsive and effective first.
2: Yeah. I think, yeah, because you said, like, it does do good to reflect. I mean, I just wanted to pause for a second so that all of us can reflect on our positions in ID. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll start off. I was born and raised in New Delhi in India, and my mother worked in the public health sector. So growing up, I I often heard words like Red Cross and USAID. Again, my school partnered with the Indian Red Cross. So I used to fundraise every year during Christmas. So I was definitely exposed to these concepts growing up, but yeah, I def- I didn't have a specific label that I could put on them until I entered university. I was, so for my undergraduate, I studied history and politics and I had to take a core module on world politics in my first year. And this is the first time that I learned about the concept of international development. So yeah, I think... Is, did anyone else want to share about how they first heard about this concept or how they first realized that, oh, I have been exposed to this thing called international development in my life? Yeah, for me as well,
3: growing up in India, like my family moving back to India after a couple of years living abroad, I feel like development was a word that I heard a lot growing up. Mm. I didn't have any family working in the development sector, but I think even then it's just a word that's very associated with India especially at the time mm-hmm. development projects were like the big it word in politics and otherwise and also I think in everyday life it's something that if you are like in a position where you feel you can help then people consider it important to help at least where I grew up it was like that mm-hmm. and so but I never I never encountered the idea of international development as an academic space or even like I never really understood like the, the policy perspective of it until I went to university as well but I think mm-hmm. Suddenly, it was like a a whole academic conversation rather than just something that happens at an individual scale or on a philanthropic scale. It's very, the Mm -hmm. magnitude of development is much bigger. And then even then, I think I, I was introduced to it from like sociology, policy. And then really towards the end of like my undergrad, I was kind of, I started hearing international development a lot more, international relations, and then the idea of aid, that kind of stuff, really, like, yeah. I feel like I only properly confronted it a couple of years ago. And so I also I feel like that's kind of interesting as well, where most people will go through this like trajectory where they start by just knowing that there's this vague idea of development. And then they realize the magnitude of development as an academic policy oh, you know, sure. space later in life. Which, Mm -hmm. I mean, is also kind of indicative of development as a sector, I think, where it kind of looks small and then you realize how big it is
0: (laughs) and how many different
3: directions it can take.
0: Yeah. And I also think that you pulled on or you touched on a really good point about the academic sphere being able to be essentially more critical. And I mean, Mm -hmm. there are even spaces of academia and where they are far removed from the industry as it's on its own it's very much about not necessarily theory but i would say being critical of certain pieces that make up being part of the development sphere whether that be like methodology of how to understand the problems or issues at hand and how to fix them and then also from a standpoint of like how again that same conversation about positionality and about classes at LSE that kind of talked about this in regard of um, gender empowerment and you know feminist thinkers in a lot of ways many feminist thinkers are, are more radical and are actually kind of separated that they don't even want to interact with the sector because of the roots in which international development um, come from.
2: Yeah no I think that's very interesting to hear especially because in the beginning I was fascinated with the field because it seemed to theorize concept that I'd already been exposed to on a practical level. And also a lot of the case studies that uh, a lot of the case studies seem to focus on India. And during undergrad, especially, I loved that because I ended up being an expert on the matter among my British classmates. So just <laughs> progressing during my undergrad and my master's. That is when, like, when, as I studied more, I began noticing the passive role that is assigned to those in need of aid.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Because I think in academia, it was often the West assisting the development of underdeveloped nations.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And as I sat and I thought more about ID and my exposure to the field, I thought back to my mother and how she was an urban woman who was often working on projects that provided aid for rural people. So again, just to bring everything full circle and ref- reflect a little more on our own positions in ID, since we've all studied at LSC, it is safe to say that a certain part of our higher education has taken place at an elite Western organization. Mm-hmm. So my question is, based on your experiences, would you say that ID is an elite space? And if it is, then as people who have received an elite education ourselves, what do we do to reduce the gatekeeping of this industry? Or how can we
0: reduce the gatekeeping? That's a big question.
2: Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just to start off with, would do we think ID is an elite space? I think you're right to
3: say that ID does emphasize the role of the person doing development rather than the person, or not person, but the actor doing development rather than the site at which development is actually taking place and there is like a there's always kind of this dynamic where the global north is doing development to the global south rather than kind of creating a space where development create an environment in which development can kind of foster itself that doesn't seem to exist right now there's always especially with like aid and the fact that we even have such complex foreign relations in today's world and how their Mm -hmm. intervention in intervention for development is not just that it's usually it has multiple other sides as well so I think you're you're right to say that there is like a certain amount of power in there's a certain amount of power that certain actors have over others and you can call that I I feel like it's fair to call that elitism to a certain extent because Mm -hmm. what kind of resources are you being given for you to decide one what development is and to be able to
1: go and put those intentions or that intervention somewhere else. It goes back to, you know, Hajun Chang's kicking away the ladder, his argument, even though now it is being, you know, deconstructed. And like we've mentioned, critical thinking is always important. Take everything with a grain of salt. But the underlying theme of that, there is a massive informational asymmetry between the actors, notably between the beneficiaries and like, let's say the owners of international development is a bit of a constant in the last 70 years. I think it's getting better and it's evolving. I, I just wanted to add to that. But Sanjana, let me know if I misinterpreted it, but I think well, yeah, it kind yeah, of follows is. through.
3: Absolutely.
2: Yeah, Yeah. no, I think, so then if, if that is, if we're agreeing that there is an element of, that there is a power disbalance or an information asymmetry, then as people who have received an elite education, as people who you would assume would be the naturally be attracted to this space what can we do to reduce the gatekeeping
0: whenever i think about this and i i guess it kind of goes back to what you were asking beforehand um, in terms of positionality and the duality that at least i and i think that you all have as being seen as the group that needs the most help and doesn't have the ability to do it yet I have a now a Western education that sort of allows me to have the capacity to talk about these ideas. You know, even when I first heard about international development and the truly the reason why I joined or decided that this was something that I was interested in, it was truly based off of anger at my uh, white colleagues, to be honest, and in the sense of really being upset with the way that they, I don't want to use the word patronizing, but I just felt like they really took away the human dignity of the people that Mm -hmm. we were talking about and who we were trying to give aid to, that we weren't seeing Mm -hmm. them as a human being that had agency, that had autonomy Mm -hmm. and choice, and instead Mm -hmm. decided that, you know, we have the right way of how to help them and that, you know, they don't have the capacity to even think about, you know, what is good, or what would be more suitable. And I think that comes to me a lot. Uh, and and that constant question is like, you know, why am I here? Why am I even taking part in this? Because in some ways it can be very damaging. And so I always think about like, I am happy to be here because at least I am able to, to in the language, (laughs) I don't want to even say the language of those that do this, but to be able to say, (laughs) Hey, that's not that this, this isn't actually inclusive. This isn't, you're not actually listening to those people. And I think that, you know, even me saying that has an elitist take on it, right. Because it's saying that Mm -hmm. I have the voice that can speak on it. So I think that the biggest thing about reducing gatekeeping is even just having this conversation and saying and reflecting consistently on where your position is. And if you're not doing that, then this is probably not the industry for you. Because I think at the end of the day, if you're not consistently taking a step back and thinking about the language that you're using or how you're approaching Mm -hmm. an idea, and you're not considering the fact that you're coming from a higher position, then there is a level of complacency and cognitive dissonance there that ultimately you know, takes away from the problem at hand. And I only say that because I always see it even in before the sustainable development goals, there were the millennium development goals and they mm-hmm. were cognitively dissonant because in a lot of the ways that they were trying to look at development issues or define what development issues, they really looked at the quantitative parts and they weren't really looking at the more human, I guess, holistic culmination of issues or factors that might be going into it. So now I don't know where we are as in terms of being in terms of inclusivity. Like, how do we take those issues and make them more accessible? That's a really good question.
2: Yeah, I think just to sort of like close off this point, I also want to bring up how during most of our meetings, especially the ones where we're brainstorming, the, the amount we tend to trail off just because we're all sort of bouncing off of each other, we're all mm-hmm. being critical of each other and bouncing off of each other's critique. I think everyone covered it very well. And yeah, like conversation is key, of course.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Ragni. Conversation is always key because, especially if we're talking about these informational discrepancies and access to them, how are we going to essentially lead in back? Back to Doris, make the world a better place. If it is not fully inclusive, if we're not looking at the intersections, if we're not looking at both quant and qual, and if we're not speaking to engineers and mathematicians, but also sociologists, behavioral economists, it's everyone together. And that's also why it was really hard when we were thinking of the definition. It's very broad, but at the same time, it is very specific what international development is and does and how it represents itself and how we all play into it.
0: So I think that we have, I think we had a question where we wanted to really talk about how we want international development to change. And I, I think that Ragini put it a great way is how mm. do we reduce the gatekeeping of mm. taking part? And I think that that, I think that we've really summarized it well is just having that open communication and conversation, which includes us amplifying the voices of BiWOC that are within the sphere, because I think it's really critical to that. And I also just think just a constant reflection on how we're operating and, you know, our spaces and to, you know, be critical of that is just a key.
4: One thing for me, I think, yeah, definitely including more people is very important because it seems to me that like the international development is quite political. So sometimes mm-hmm. the powerful people, they use it as kind of their tool to justify them and maybe they have some hidden agenda but they use it as a, a beautiful way to disguise the the true meaning that they are why they are going to help the developing countries and i yes. guess there is a historical roots behind it well i'm learning in my class that in imperialism and colonialism like when people actually offering help to the developing countries and they they're like the the real motive behind is invasion and resource yeah taking all their resources but what they frame it as like civilizations and they are actually helping the people there and they're assuming that people are uncivilized in those regions so I think the reason that why we are like focusing on the quantitative part as Madeira say like we are not caring like how people really live their life but like how in numbers we are helping them is because Maybe the real motive is not to help them. So that's why we mm. have a whole focus. So I think when we involve more people coming in, the one who like really care about people's life is getting involved and participating, then probably it can balance out the focus on quantitative and the political agenda balance that out to like really making a positive impact to those regions that need help I don't even know if I should say they need help yeah
0: <laughs> that that's a great way to think about it is should we even be saying that they need help that's a I think that that's a great place to end so constant
2: know. constantly be critical that's great yeah that's yeah really critical
0: yeah <laughs> yeah Oh, Guys, Doris and John Aragony, I can't even describe how excited we are to have you on the team and to just be able to explore ideas and think about these questions that you've brought up. And I hope that we even get to touch on them even more with our upcoming guests. This term. So I just want to thank you. You guys have been amazing. It's such been such a fruitful discussion. And it's so nice to hear other people's voices other than Monica's and I, even though I love Monica's voice, but I also love hearing having more people to talk to and chat about. And so before we wrap up. um, That makes two of us. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, before we wrap up, we would like to, I guess, what's the word? We would love to do our tradition on can you hear us with you all um which is a round of wheel of questions which we use as kind of a way i'm glad you're excited doris um (laughs) it's just kind of a way that we like to lighten up the conversation since it can be a little bit heavy um, with like just a fun question that we all have to ask. So are you all cool with indulging us today? Of
1: course, yeah. that sounds fun.
0: Yay, good, very good. All right, well, Monica, you want to pull it up? Let's do this.
1: Let me just quickly spin it as per usual and let's see what it is. So the question for today is horoscopes, yay or nay? <laughs> very millennial.
0: <laughs> horoscopes, um, yay or nay?
4: Should I, should what, I what is horoscope? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great
0: <laughs> <podcast>. <laughs> like zodiac signs.
4: Okay. So I'm
3: gonna
0: say yay! Like why not? Yeah. You know? Yeah, I'm gonna say
3: yay for the fun. Yeah, it's, they're fun. Yeah, it's yeah. like when you see those like um, you see those ones where people are like dissecting your entire personality based on when you're born. Yeah. And sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes they're accurate and when they're when they're accurate and good then you feel really good about yourself
0: yeah i love that. like i'm
3: inherently a good yeah. person because i was because of something i can't even control
0: yeah, <laughs> <In power day. laughs>
3: yeah.
4: Oh, I, I was say nay because like i was obsessed with, with it when i was like younger mm-hmm. but now I feel like if I keep looking at like the analysis and I will f- make myself to fit into it, which yeah. I don't really mm-hmm. like doing it because like I don't want anything to like streak me from behaving in a certain way. So like I'm giving myself oh. flexibility. <laughs> that's
2: trust, like trust the youngest person on this podcast to have the wisest answer to I know
0: <laughs> as <laughs> always yeah I'm like
2: I'm, I'm like why? Wow, yes <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm 100% gonna say yay as
0: well
2: because because okay well I'm a cusp and mm-hmm. I'm also an only child so I love feeling special yeah. <laughs> a toss, make me feel very special so I'm gonna say yay oh my
3: gosh gosh. incredible love that oh my gosh I'm gonna have to agree with Doris a little bit though because I didn't know I was a cusp and then I found out I was a cusp and my entire identity felt like a threat
0: because I was like
3: wait I'm not just a Sagittarius I'm a Sagittarius Capricorn it felt so awful so I think I get where Doris is coming from
1: yeah (laughs)
4: yeah yeah
0: Oh my gosh, we have three cuspers on the call. I have no idea what my I you know what's really funny is I just asked my mom what my time of birth was so I could figure it out. I literally asked her, I literally asked her on Friday. So I'm
4: asked the same question, but like it's a a few years ago.
0: Yeah, sometimes (laughs) you just I mean like I've definitely done this over and over again and you're just intrigued. There's nothing wrong with fun, right?
4: Yeah, definitely, it's Um, fun. But I will like restrict myself from doing it, otherwise, (laughs) I'm obsessed with it again.
0: A wise person you are, Doris. A wise person you are. (laughs) Well, (laughs) well, guys, there you have it. Uh, We hope you enjoyed this episode, to our dear listeners, and I hope you love our team as much as we do. Um, Doris and Jana Ragani, once again, welcome to the team. Yay! Yay!
2: And,
0: um, <laughs> and please don't be too shy to come on the podcast, um, even though you're working on the back end. So please okay. come and join us sometimes. Okay.
1: Um, Absolutely.
0: Good. Sure. Good. All right. Well, my name is Madeira.
1: And my name is Monica. And we will see you next time.
0: Bye. 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 Bye.
1: <laughs> we would like to start by thanking our guests again for coming on today, as well as the LSC Department of International Development for all its support, especially the LSC ID Communications and Events Manager, Ms. Jeeba Patel, and its officer, Anna Dalton for all their help in promoting and distributing the episodes. Finally, to our team for researching, recording, and editing this episode. Our music is provided by a sound bank and our logo created by Gorka Abad. See you all next time. Bye!